0: I got in contact with this guy from Exeter. He said, hey, man, I know this guy named Nolan. He's from Fresno, but it's a drive for you. It's was like, I don't care, man, give me his number now. I didn't know that. And, and I still have it on this phone today. Like, I have everything when I started treatment. I have everything on the phone, and I called you, and um, you didn't answer. I was like, oh, <laughs> man, but I mean, now I understand why, because you're busy. And you had to call me back within an hour. Thank goodness.
1: Welcome to Into Action, brought to you by Touchstone Recovery Center. This episode, we're speaking to Juan Magana. Juan is a, an alumni of Touchstone. Um, he's a man in recovery. He's becoming a pretty good friend of mine. Um, it's It's been a pleasure getting to see the progress that he's made over the last year or so. Um, yeah, it's... It's it's cool to see when people come into the program and how quickly they grow and how quickly they, like, find themselves, you know. it's So so getting to know Juan has is, is been really fun. Um, yeah, welcome, Juan. How you doing, man? I'm doing good, Nolan. And yourself? I'm good. I'm good. So tell me a little bit about, like, when you were younger and you obviously, like most of us, when we're growing up, we... We see alcoholism. We have addiction in our family. Um, A lot of us struggle when we're young. Is any of that
0: true for you? Uh, it was mostly seeing my father. He was he drank a lot. Yeah. But he um, slowly uh, by the years he started slowing down and stopped drinking. And I kind of seen that a little bit, but I'm not gonna say my addiction took up took upon on what he did. Sure. And so you know, I was growing Mm up, playing sports. started getting into marijuana. Marijuana was my first thing. How, how old were you when you started doing that? Uh, I was in sixth grade, probably about 12 years old. Okay. And so as I continued on, you know, I like getting high. Felt great. And then throughout high school, um, started involving in my sports. And I think like sports... Like it was getting in the way? Like,
1: is that is that what you mean?
0: Like it was, um, I was like enjoying it while I was playing sports. Oh, got it. Okay. And... Uh, I loved it especially when I was wrestling. I felt like I was Superman. Huh. Like I felt like I was unstoppable. Um but sooner or later um, my junior years when I started trying cocaine. Um but didn't really get into it deeply after I graduated high school.
1: Okay. So during high school were you drinking a lot or was it mainly just marijuana and and occasionally cocaine?
0: Um it was marijuana and cocaine. Okay.
1: I, I know for a lot of people, um, myself included, like the stimulants, like cocaine, always came into the picture when when people were drinking. You know, and I think that's true for a lot of people that come through Touchstone. Is like they'll, it's really tough to stop doing drugs when alcohol's involved because it like lowers our inhibitions and it makes us, we just we can't say
0: no when we have that buzz going from alcohol. So you you didn't drink much at all? No, I didn't drink too much in high school. I I didn't like alcohol at the time. It was right after high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I found a few people that were older than me and they were starting to get me to drink and then I started uh, finding the alcohol too. I was like, hey, I need this in my life too. Yeah. So I started drinking, started progressing a little bit. Um, as I was doing, drinking more, marijuana was coming along more, buying ounces, um, you know those two things were coping pretty well. Then after a year later I got tired of it. Um, cocaine came along definitely and I started using cocaine, abusing it. Uh, I slowly started with the maybe half a gram and then sooner or later I was progressed to a full gram. And then as times was coming, it was just like once or twice a day. And then it continued to grow. It progressed even more. I started going up to an eight ball.
1: Which with that, what's that like back, what's not now? I I guess I I have no way to know the price, but I would assume that's like 100 to 200 bucks a day.
0: Yeah, it could be. Uh, eight ball was about like maybe roughly uh, 150. Yeah. It's, it's crazy how um, we don't really
1: think about the finances and, like, how much money we're spending on on, our, on self-medicating until after we get clean. I, I know when I stopped, actually, I think while I was in treatment at one point, they made us do a list of, like, do a financial ledger of all the money we've ever spent on drugs or alcohol. And I, at, the, at that time, I was, like, twenty. I think I was 24, maybe 23. Mm-hmm. So I was I was young. I'm, I had been using for like five, six years. And I remember writing that out, writing how much I spent on beer, how much I spent on marijuana, how much I spent on opiates, how much I spent on, I mean, you name it. I just went down the list and it was substantial. Yeah. Substantial. So I can imagine spending 150 bucks a day. That, that adds up, man. That adds up. And then you... What what really gets me is when a person is wanting to stop and wanting to come to treatment or wanting to get a therapist or wanting to get medical insurance so they can go to treatment. Like all of a sudden, you can't come up with the 150 bucks a day. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. you know, when we did that for years in some cases, like we figured it out, we figured out a way to stay high. How come we can't try that hard to? Figure out a way to to stay clean and to get sober. It's something I think about a lot. But yeah. um,
0: so, how long were you using on a daily basis? So as like you said, um, it was expensive, and not to mention like you've been sober for a while. Prices went up because of COVID. Yeah. As you know, you're speaking of prices. I mean, it went up to like two twenty. And you know. That's, so
1: during COVID, drug prices went up. Yes. Wow. That's I did not know that.
0: Yeah. Definitely. Huh. I mean, but as you were saying too, um, I was starting using, you know, like I said, an eight ball. Then it started getting to a point I was using at least three or four times a week, but using an eight ball or plus. And, you know, it was starting to get a bad, real bad in, maybe what, in 2020 to, uh, no, 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 I take that back. It was, 2017 to 2021. For four years? For four years, five years, I was going pretty bad. And, you know, as I was going, I was like, dude, I need a life change. I'm tired of using cocaine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I thought the greatest way to get rid of it was finding a girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And it happened about almost a year. Found one, went away for a year. What do you mean? You stopped using? I stopped using cocaine. only drank alcohol. Was it like you got away from that circle you were running in and just hung out with her? Yeah. Yeah. So I ran away from that circle, ran away from those people that I was using with, and I stuck with her. But now going back, you know, alcohol started becoming an issue. I was drinking more. It was progressing. Um, I was not getting things done around the house. So then sooner or later, we close. we were together for a year, um, I got right back on fast, and this time just stopping for a year, my dopamine grew, grew so fast. Like, I started losing stuff. I couldn't pay for my bills. I was starting to run late on my rent. Just all kinds of things I couldn't afford no more. Yeah. Um, I was stealing money. You know,
1: it- using cocaine like that on a on a daily basis. Um, I mean, I use my share of it. I don't think I might have done it a few days in a row on, on an occasion, but using it on a daily basis like that for a long time—did you have um, negative health effects? Like, what did you have any side effects that you noticed? Like nosebleeds? I yes, mean, there, there has to be. There was there was nosebleeds Bleeds. Yeah.
0: definitely nosebleeds. Did you lose a lot of weight? I was losing weight. Um, it was, it's a big factor. I was going to work still. But I would get like three or four hours of sleep, yeah. And I had co co-work, coworkers telling me like, "Hey man, you're losing weight." I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm hitting the gym." <laughs> and I'm like, "Yeah, I'm not hitting the gym, you know." I, I know most people on stimulants like we we don't eat, we
1: mm-hmm. don't eat
0: anything. So do, were you like eating uh, a when meal I was a on day? Coke, I I could not eat. Yeah, I would I would gag and want to throw it up, and I would force myself to eat. So when my ex girlfriend at the time, she was like, "Oh here's the food." you're like and, hiding that you were and using and I was just like I would pretend I would eat and I'll eat a little bit but I couldn't eat so I would when she walked away or something yeah it was time to throw in the trash and then I had my substance in my pocket ready to use yeah yeah got it
1: so during those 4 years did you have any other like negative consequences that came your way like losing a job you said you already talked about financial difficulties um, family issues
0: we're not, we're I started, uh, you know, like you're saying, family. Yes, I started having family issues. My dad figured it out. Um, I started getting paranoid. And my dad caught me one time driving my car back and forth because I thought someone was, like, outside of me watching me behind my car. And I was just like, my dad just called me outside the window and looked at me what I was doing, and I got embarrassed. And I thought it was that was enough, but it wasn't enough. I couldn't continue and use. And my dad let me know the next day, you're putting the stuff in your nose. I was like, no, I'm not. You're tripping. Yeah. So, and then uh, that went on. My dad wasn't like, you know, trying to bring me down or anything, but he was trying to be a father. But as I continued to use, I started fin- missing family events. And one time I decided to buy an eight ball, um, buy a whole bottle of whiskey. And um, it was my first niece we had in our family. And I decided to go use and drink. Everybody was calling me, like, where you at? And I was like, I'm not going to Christmas Eve. You guys are on your own this year. And after I was done with my 8-ball that day, that night, I continued to go buy another one. So then as my family was there at the house, I was like, I couldn't go home. I slept in my car. On Christmas Eve? Uh, what year? On Yeah, on Christmas Eve, yeah, yeah. At night. Yeah. I was too loaded to be around my family.
1: Yeah, I th- I think that's normal. I mean, we usually especially when you know what you're doing is wrong, like you don't you don't want to be around your friends and family that care about you when you're when you're doing the wrong thing, you know? So mm-hmm. a lot of it, I I think that's true for a lot of us. We we end up isolating and avoiding the people we love and uh we become closet users, you know? Mm-hmm. Like I know For me and for a lot of my friends, when we started out, we would use together. We'd be going out to the bars and we'd be, you know, having barbecues and going to the beach and, you know, we're having fun. And then slowly, because I always would party a little bit harder than everyone else, Mm -hmm. you know, the the friends kind of dwindled. They'd all grow up, get married, have kids, um, get a job. And then so you'd lose one friend and two friends and then eventually you're by yourself using in your apartment like you know just got fired from a job and like you're hiding it from the people that care about you and it it becomes a, like a sad story really quick when it started out over the course of a couple of years right when it, when it started out like you were you were having fun it was like a good thing I'm, I'm gonna go to the beach with my buddies and go to Harry's bar and sleep on the on the sand and you know Uh, A couple years down the road, if you're an addict like me, you're in a hotel room by yourself looking out the blinds at 2 a.m., wondering if the cops are coming for you, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So sleeping in your car, yeah, I've been there. It sucks. Yeah. Yeah. So when did you decide that you wanted to try to stop? Like, it sounds like you you had that on your mind for a while, but when did you take action and, like, do something about it? So, like,
0: when I took action, it was just my last time because... As I figured out, you know, you know, when I came in here, recovery wasn't about like finding something or, you know, as a person to replace for the drug. And so, you know, one week I went on a bender, I went a three-four straight bender, three-four days bender, and bloody nose, and I kept going, wouldn't stop. So the last time I used, um, I came back from a refing, I had made like three hundred and twenty dollars. Wrestling? refing for re- football. Okay. And and I had this young kid with me, and he's like, hey, man, let's go make a run and and sell these carts. And I was like, yeah. He's like, I'll give you 80 bucks for gas, and I'll buy you food. And I was like, all right, right on. You got it. Well, I don't know what he want to go do. You think he want to go take an opiate? He came back <laughs> fucked up. Well, he left another $320 around there, maybe around there. I'm not saying, but it was more than $300. And so I ended up with, like, almost $700 that day. And it was my last day, and I was um, wanting to go buy. And I was supposed to go get a Denny's with my ex-girlfriend. And instead, she was like, I thought you were going to be in bed and blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, "Uh, no, I couldn't sleep and blah, blah. And I was just. Your priority shifted. You went and bought more Coke. Yeah. And so then we had a conversation. She's like, I feel like you're using. And I was just like, no, I'm not. And then she said that, "Um, she was gonna drug test me, and that's when everything switched up, and I was just like, "How am I gonna pass this drug test? I'm gonna lose everything." so I told her the truth that night, and what do you mean you were living with her? I was or? still living with her. I was like she knew something was odd mm-hmm. off of me, like I was acting weird, I wasn't who I was a year ago, you know yeah. And so I told her the truth, and she's like, well, you're an addict. You need help. And as us as addicts, we refused that at the time in the beginning. Sure. And, and I was just like, no, I can stop. Take my keys, take my credit cards, everything. I'll stop. Well, I got on the phone, and I was just like, I don't want to lose my relationship. I got on the phone. I started calling all these places, and they're like, oh, we only take Medi-Cal. I'm like, dude, I have Anthem insurance for my mom. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I have good insurance. How can you not take me? So I'm just like, damn. So I was about to give up already. And I was like, screw it. I'm just going to go keep using. And so I got in contact with this guy from Exeter. He said, hey, man, I know this guy named Nolan. He's from Fresno, but it's a drive for you. It's like, I don't care, man. Give me his number now. I didn't know that. And And I still have it on this phone today. Like, I have everything when I started treatment. I have everything on the phone. And I called you and um, you didn't answer. And I was like, oh, (laughs) man. But I mean, now I understand why, because you're busy. And you had to call me back within an hour. And I still, thank goodness. I, I still remember the conversation from you. You asked me a lot of questions. I was like, oh, I asked you, do you guys take cocaine for substance, treat people there? And they're like, yeah, we do. Take anything. Um, at some point, you know, what level of care you need. Yeah. And you told me, how's your sleep and blah, blah, and all this. And I was like, yeah, my sleep's fine. I'm able to go to bed. And, you know, I just kept going and and you um, were like, well, you're a lucky one. You don't have a hard time to go to bed. I was like, oh, okay. Well, people have a hard time going to bed if they're using drugs like I didn't know yeah it's really common for like irregular sleep patterns it's mm. usually pretty common yeah and then as now I'm working in treatment and now I'm figuring out why yeah and as I continued, you know I got into treatment now here in Touchstone but it wasn't just you know like you know I I was lost I don't know what I was doing here like what was it about what to do how to get things done I was doing everything the opposite
1: Weren't uh, you living still down in Tulare County and driving?
0: Yeah, from Porterville. Yeah, you I drove was, from Porterville. I drove from Porterville about maybe six weeks straight.
1: That's that's an hour and twenty minutes.
0: Yeah, at least. Especially that time because of traffic. So <laughs> you I went um, to PM IOP. PM IOP. So what I would do, <laughs> I would get off work, I would change and bounce. I'd be here by like five five ten. Unless if there was a car accident or something, it would hold, hold me back up here just on time. So I did that about for six weeks. Um, I remember um, it was working at first, like you were doing pretty well.
1: And then you had a slip, right? Yeah, I had one, my first slip. Yep. And then you, to correct me if I'm wrong, but you decided like, all right, I got to do it different. So you moved into sober living.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it was, I had, before that, it was um, actually, I had um, two slips. Before I entered sober living, I remember my first one. I was home by myself, isolating. No one was at my home. I used, and I was like, you know, actually, I'm gonna try an experience. I was like, you know what? I know I can drink without cocaine. Didn't work so well for yeah, me. Yeah, that
1: doesn't really work for many people.
0: And you know, and I was told once, in as my group session here at Touchstone, and he, that guy was right.
1: Yeah, yeah, it just it lowers your inhibitions, you know makes it really easy to say yes when you got a few beers in you. Yeah. I, I got to commend that decision because a lot of... So many people will will be in treatment and like a low level of care. So IOP or maybe even the day program, the PHP program. And if they relapse, like they're not willing to change anything, you know. Um, there always has to be some type of, of intervention and we have to do something as... As a clinical team, to make sure that we address the problem and change something. So, whether it's recommend a a sober living, whether it's recommend a higher level of care, increase outside self help groups like AA meetings, Mm -hmm. there has to be something that the person does differently. Because, I mean, you know, you do the same thing over and over, Mm -hmm. you're gonna get the same damn result. So, for you to slip up and then say, all right, I'll move into sober living. I remember when you did that and I was like that he's going to be all right because you you moved up here from from Porterville um, and then you showed up to group every day it was a good move a lot of people resist that yeah so I'm glad you did
0: that and that was when when I yeah, was was um like yeah, January no that was in November November of last year yeah on black friday so it's been about a year gonna be about a Got year it. now so what's your sobriety date so my sobriety is 11/25/22 coming up so, good as you're speaking about like you know going to sober living um you know I was afraid you know you were talking about how le- high level of care I was scared to tell Lewis how much I used because that last time I used I used seven grams and I thought I thought he was gonna tell me, hey man you need to go to inpatient and I was just like I am not going to inpatient but you know how you're saying to refuse yeah yeah but I will go to sober living I'll try that out I didn't know what it was yeah yeah but it it's a wonderful experience. Um, good structure there. Um, good house manager. I mean there's so much wonderful things that Sober Living did for me.
1: Were you at the colony?
0: Yeah with Kenny the colony, Kenny.
1: No. he's a good house manager. Mm-hmm. So um, So you completed the program in early 2023. so it's been what you, we hired you a few months back. Mm -hmm. And now you're the house manager at our Visalia
0: Sober Living. So how's it going? Like, how are you staying sober now? How am I staying sober now? Well, it was kind of an adjustment, you know, because, you know, I did it because purposely I volunteered to move to Visalia, but I wanted to be halfways home and halfways to work. And it works out perfectly. But as you're saying, now I took a position of being a house manager. It's a lot of work. Is it? It's a lot of work, Um, you know, because I was kind of falling off going to meetings, uh, seeing my sponsor, and I was like, I'm going to trust the process, you know. I I made this decision, but now I'm like, I was like telling myself, like, I'm going to get back on. It's fine. So I went back to step work slowly but surely, started seeing my sponsor, started going back to my men's group here in Fresno, you know. It's kind of hard to leave a spot that you found, a yeah, fellowship, yeah. you know what I mean? Yep. I I found my home group in Visalia, and
1: that's still, you know, even though I probably I go to more meetings in Fresno than I do in Visalia now, I still, that's my home group, you know. Um, you know, we encourage people at Touchstone to go to meetings during the day. Like, if you need to take an hour, go to a meeting, you can do that. You know that. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Yeah, I knew that. Um, I need to do that more often, like during the workday, just Especially if you're having a bad day, you know, go go to Sierra Fellowship real quick. It's a trip when we go now, as opposed to like two years ago, I would go and I might see a touchstone client, maybe, mm-hmm. but like now when we go, we, you always see at least three or four, every time I go to a meeting. Um, the last one I went to, there was probably eight touchstone clients and alumni that were there. It's pretty neat. Yeah. So, as the house manager in, at the Visalia Sober Living, um, has it has it been tough seeing people like you know or people that just come in relapse? Is
0: that is that hard or? Oh, I can't really say much on that because I haven't had a relapse in the house yet. You had one right off the bat. Oh yeah, yeah. You,
1: you're right though. You haven't had many. It's it's only been what. Four months, so yeah, you, four months. There. That's pretty good, though. You know, to only have one in four months, that's pretty good. You must be doing something right. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, do you like being the house manager? Oh, I love being the house manager. It keeps me on my toes, you know, because as I learned being with Kenny, um, you guys come check the houses, and you know, and we want to make those houses as beautiful as possible. And then, you know, last night we had a house meeting. I came in. And you know I'm not gonna come in with the anger, you know, I was a little bit upset and mad, but I went in my room and processed it. you know learns how to show love and tolerance, as I learned from Lewis um <laughs> you know, like I was mad, I wanted to ring him. I was like, you know what guys, uh we had our meeting. I was like, hey, guys I'm seeing this, let's fix it. you know, let's just fix the little things and we'll be fine. The only problem we have is in our kitchen. We had dishes in there we had stuff on the counter and I was like, "Okay, hey man, we just need to fix this. Be better on our chores and we'll be fine. That's all I asked for."
1: Yeah, that's a good move. Like having when you're in a sober living, you know, you're living with at your house there's seven guys. It a lot of them there's eight, so a couple of them there's 10. And you know, leaving having little messes, it's kind of sounds stupid, but having the little messes here and there, it it really bugs people. And the people are paying their rent. Like, you, you know, it's their house. So to keep it clean and to, and to have, like, structure and rules, it's important. I think also because—do um, you make the guys read that, that book, Make Your Bed? Oh, no, I don't. No? Have you read it?
0: No, I have you never heard of should. that book
1: in my life. <laughs> okay, you should read it. I bought one for every sober living, but maybe I didn't pre- take one down to Visalia yet. But it's it's basically just says— like how important it is to start your day the right way. So, like you make up, you wake up, you make your bed, you have a routine, you do the little things, starting with making your bed when you get up in the morning. You know I, why that's important. It sounds stupid, and for years I didn't do it, but like I, I know how important that is now because you you wake up, you have this, you you have like guidelines to to the way you want to live your life. I want my bed, I want my bedroom to look nice. I want to show up to work on time. I want to stay sober. Like there's things you have to do to make to achieve those goals. Pretty damn easy one is to make your damn bed when yeah. you wake up. But anyway, you you should have all the guys. You know what you should do is when a one of that guys at the house doesn't make their bed, make them read the book. It's their yeah. and then give you a book
0: report. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should. Yeah, but it's it's a good point what you're bringing up about the bed. Um, I watched a video one time. This guy was from the military. I couldn't remember exact words, but I do remember at the end. And you were kind of saying, if you're having a bad day, make your bed. But at the end of the day, you get to go back to a happy place that you made your bed.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Well, thanks for coming on, man. Um, I've got one more question for you, though. So what would you tell somebody that's struggling, somebody that, that needs help, um, that's out there still using... What would you tell them? Give, them? give them some
0: advice. So if I were to give somebody advice, I was just like, hey, man, you need some help, you know, but you got to take the suggestions. Whatever they tell you, do, because it does work. But a lot of people think, and I would tell them as well, just, you know, just going to treatment is just not where you're going to get fixed. There's a aftermath after that. You know, you got to go to meetings. You gotta go to um, do step work, and it helps people out, and you see the change in them. So yeah. if I, if my biggest thing that I learned, whatever I tell you and take the suggestions, just do it. It's gonna help you on the long run, cause that's what's happened for me, and and my biggest suggestion was sober living. That's one big key. Is after you get out of detox or residential. Go to sober living. It'll help you.
1: Yeah, doing something different is always necessary. Um, changing your normal. So whether that's where you live, who you hang out with, your day to day, and then, like you said, I, I think it's it's a program that is lifelong. So like just because I graduated from Touchstone last month doesn't mean like I'm cured. I don't. I don't have to worry about being an addict anymore. I've made that mistake, you know. Like when I got out of treatment, out of inpatient treatment, I, I thought, oh, I'm, they gave me a little coin, I'm good. Mm-hmm. So I was drinking like within two weeks, and um, yeah, a lot of people make that mistake. But it, it, it's, it's a, it's a program that we have to maintain. We have to get, like address daily because it's always there waiting for us, you know. Mm-hmm. But thanks for being on, man.
0: Thank you, Nolan. Appreciate you. L- love you, buddy. Love you too, man.